Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, hello, hockey fans. My name is Nick Berlansky, host of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. My co-host, Nick Horwat and I talk all things Pittsburgh Penguins, from top news to game analysis and other unconventional hockey talk. We've got you covered. A team in the playoffs or in the play-in round won the first overall pick, and I wanted to throw my phone clear across this plane. <laughs> Nope, nope, it, he will. Yeah, see, there's your he hot will. take, got it. We're That's in. my hot take. <laughs> he will be a Hockey Hall of Famer, if not possibly first ballot Hall of Famer. That was just awful officiating, and who who was this this scrub that was officiating? Let me let me look it up real quick. Mark Rashi, <laughs> something like that? Oh, oh, Recky. I just I just wanted to see him booming it from blue line to blue line, being the lines. That's all I wanted to see. Very few general managers have those type of players, let alone three players that you can easily say, if I don't trade them, my team will be better. So all I have to do is not make a move. And I get that's a foreign concept for Jim Rutherford, but you just don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. You don't do that. <laughs> New episodes every Monday. Tune in at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcast from. And let's go Pens. Welcome to New York. Devil's State, State of, of Mind, Mind podcast. podcast. Brought to Brought you by, to the, you hockey by the Hockey Podcast, podcast Network. Network. Now, here's, now your host, here's your host, Neil Villapiano. Woo! What's going on, Devils fans? It's your host, Neil Villapiano, and welcome to another edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network best place to get the most up-to-date news about your New Jersey Devils. As always, thank you guys so much for taking some time out of your day to check this episode out. I do greatly appreciate it. We always have exciting content to show you guys and you guys check out every single week. And this week is certainly no exception because if you're listening to this on Monday, November 2nd, exactly a week ago, 
I had the pleasure of having on the New York Islanders TV play-by-play broadcaster, Brendan Burke, on the podcast. And we had a great you know, conversation, great interview. We talked about you know, his journey to where he is now being the play-by-play voice of the New York Islanders. And we also, because obviously we have to talk about the Devils in some aspect, I decided to ask him to give us some of his favorite memories from working with and just getting to know the man, the myth, the legend, the man who just retired about two weeks ago, Mike Doc Emmerich. So this was a really, really great interview. It was such a pleasure to have on Brendan Burke. And you know, thank you so much, Brendan, for coming on and taking some time to, to speak with us. We do greatly, greatly appreciate it. So this is a really exciting episode that I, I'm so pumped to share with you guys. And I really hope you guys enjoy this interview. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this awesome interview with the play-by-play voice of the New York Islanders, Brendan Burke. All right, Devils fans and also hockey fans listening to this edition of the Devils State of Mind podcast, we have a very exciting guest joining us today. This man previously worked for the Utica Comets of the American Hockey League, the AHL, where he served as the play-by-play commentator as well as pre-game intermission and post-game host since 2004. 13. He was also part of the television team for the AHL All-Star Game Classic in 2015 and was honored after the season with the league's James H. Ellery Award for Outstanding Media Coverage. In addition, since 2012, he has appeared on Fox Sports Net and Fox Sports One calling college football and basketball games. He also is the broadcaster for the PLL, which is the premier lacrosse league. He is the play-by-play voice on television for the New York Islanders on MSG. It is a pleasure to welcome on Brendan Burke. Brendan, welcome to the Devil's State of Mind podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Neil. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, you know, it's not too often anymore that people talk about my old American Hockey League days, so thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> no, no problem. So, Obviously, we're going to, you know, we have a lot of questions to get to, so let's jump right into it. So my first question to you, Brendan, is this. You are the son of Don Burke, who was a sports reporter in the American Hockey League. Can you talk to us a little bit about his influence in you having interest in, you know, broadcasting and being involved in the sport of hockey? Yeah, I mean, he was very briefly um, a hockey reporter back when I was uh, right around the time I was born. And um, we lived in Wisconsin and he covered the Milwaukee Admirals, then of the International Hockey League. Uh, now they're in the American Hockey League. But um, so being born in Wisconsin and having a dad who covered the sport was my interest in the sport in general. And I started playing it at a young age as about a, you know four years old. I started playing hockey and it's something that I, I did all the way through high school and college. So um, certainly that had an impact on, on where I am today. Uh, and then he wound up uh, moving to New York or moving to New Jersey and, and becoming the New York Yankees beat writer and, and served as the Yankee beat writer for a long time, um, was the New Jersey Nets beat writer for a while, even covered the Mets when I was in college. So um, he's been around the, the New York and, and sports media scene for a long time. And so I, I was exposed to that as an early age and um, obviously uh, kind of led me down this path, whether I, whether I wanted to or not. Well, that's great. Um, you know, starting about, you know, when you first started broadcasting and just getting involved in it, you know, you were a very young broadcaster, 22 years of age, working for the Wheeling Nailers of the ECHL. Can you talk to us a little bit about that experience and what you learned from it? 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, I got an opportunity that, that a lot of people don't get um, to be 22 years old and just a couple of months out of college and working in professional sports and being a broadcaster as, as not only just a broadcaster, but a number one broadcaster and a full-time employee, um, you know, in Wheeling. So um, I was, uh, it was great for me because I didn't know a whole lot about what I should be doing and what I was supposed to be doing and, and what the best way to do it is. But um, I worked in a place where they allowed me to figure that out on my own. And, um, and, and I, and I did that and I wound up spending two, you know, great hockey seasons in Wheeling, um, and kind of working on my craft and developing and getting better, just kind of the same way athletes do to work their way to the next level. And so, um, you know, that was really invaluable experience for me to, to be able to kind of, uh, get a little baptism by fire and get thrown right out of college, right into the pro ranks and start working my way up. So by the time I was 24, I was in the American hockey league, one step below the NHL and, um, certainly that has a lot to do with the fact that I was able to make it to the NHL at 32. Now you did mention, obviously that you started working in the AHL. You, you originally started with the Peoria Rivermen who eventually became, you know, and moved to Utica in 2013. What was the biggest, I guess I would say, what was the, the biggest lesson you learned when you started working in the AHL? Was it, was it a little bit more difficult than working in the ECHL? You know, was it just a big culture shock or just talk to us a little bit about that experience? Um, you know, the speed of the game was certainly different. I think when you get close, that close to the NHL, you know, everybody talks about the speed, but it was, it was evident really from the first practice that I attended in the American Hockey League that this was a significant step up from the ECHL um, because you're talking about, you know, the, the best players in the American Hockey League are NHL players right. and the best players in the ECHL are usually AHL players. And so there's, there's a pretty big gap there between, um, you know, the top end players and, and the bottom players when you talk about the best players in the AHL and the worst players in the ECHL. That's a pretty big gap. Mm -hmm. So um, when you get to the American Hockey League, certainly the speed of the game's a lot faster. But, um, you know, for me, it was, it was just kind of treating it like it was an NHL job. And I did that. And I think everybody in the American Hockey League does that, is that you treat it like you're um, an NHL broadcaster. You treat it like you're an NHL team because um, you never know when that phone call is coming. It comes for the players, uh, certainly more often than broadcasters. But, right. you know, it came for me when I was 26 years old that they needed somebody to fill in at the NHL level. And I... I was able to pop up and do that and, and kind of gain the belief that uh, I belong in the NHL and that I could do what I was doing at, at the highest level and kind of gave me the confidence to, to keep going. So um, certainly it was, you know, I wound up spending eight years in the American Hockey League. I spent five um, in Peoria and then three more in Utica. So um, certainly it gave me the opportunity to call, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of professional hockey games and kind of get ready for my big opportunity. Well, that's great. Now, you did mention, obviously, you did get your, your first break in the, in the NHL with the St. Louis Blues from 2009 to 2012, take, talking on um, radio for play-by-play, -play, uh, KMOX. Uh, can you talk to us about what was it like when you got your first opportunity to work in the NHL? Did, did you really have, like, a moment where you said, I really made it? Like, this is, this is that moment I've been, you know, dreaming about? Well, I mean, back then, it was, it was just a, a temporary fill-in basis. So, um, it was, um, it was, it was interesting because it was a shock. I mean, I got a phone call at about 11 o'clock at night on, I don't remember what day of the week it was, just say a Thursday that I needed to be in Nashville on Friday and call the game on Friday night. So it was, it was very quick in the way it developed. And, um, you know, it was a last second emergency fill in and I wound up just calling one single hockey game. Um, and certainly the nerves are pumping, but at the end of the day, it was, it was tremendous. And it was, yeah, you had the, hey, I made it, I got here, but 
it was also you know the biggest tease of, of my life because it was so short-lived and then I wound up I mean you think about it I wound up spending four more years maybe even five more years in professional hockey before I got another chance to do an NHL game but um, you know that little glimpse it wound up being three games all on radio for St. Louis um, uh, they were all road games I did a game in Nashville a game in Denver uh, and a game in Phoenix um, and so it was those three games and, and I spent the next few years just saying you know, I'm going to work extra hard to make sure that my story at the end of the day is not about that one time I called three NHL games. Um, mm -hmm. I wanted it to just be kind of a blip on the radar and just an anecdote that I would talk about in interviews like this. And so, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I want to get being able to get that chance, but it certainly gave me the belief that, um, you know, you don't know if you can do it until you do it. Yep. And uh, I was able to do it and, and kind of believe that that was um, something that I, I had the ability to do at the highest level. That's great. Now, obviously, a few years later, you were hired by the New York Islanders and MSG to cover the New York Islanders. Can you talk to us about, you know, how that whole process went down and, and basically, you know, how you were able to get that opportunity? With the Islanders? Yeah, with the Islanders, correct. Yeah, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, Howie Rose uh, announced his retirement or at least his retirement from, from hockey right. in, uh, in, in the spring, in, in May. Um, and certainly as, as an AHL broadcaster, and, and this is the same for every AHL broadcaster, you're just kind of always foaming at the mouth waiting for somebody to <laughs> retire or somebody to move on or just right. a job opening somebody's contract to expire. I mean, right. you're just looking for any sort of opening and not necessarily even for that job, even for, you know, my first instinct obviously would be, I would love to get the Islanders job and love to succeed how I rose. But at the same time, you're just saying, Hey, if I don't get the Islanders job, I hope a current NHL radio guy gets the Islanders job and that opens a, a job somewhere else in another market. And just movement is good when you're trying right. to get in um, to the NHL market. So you're just hoping that there's enough opportunities there where you can impress somebody and get one of those jobs because they're so hard to get. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, my agent reached out immediately and we started having some good conversations. And I mean, it was a, let's see, May, June, July, August. it was a four month process really between wow. the time um, that we first talked with MSG to the time that they offered me um, a contract with the Islanders. So um, there was uh, phone interviews, there was in-person interviews, there was actually an audition um, in the middle of July where I called a hockey game at eight o'clock in the morning with Butch Goring from a studio in Manhattan just to see how we would fit together. Um, I mean, they they did their due diligence in trying to make sure that they they felt they made the right choice. And so I went through that whole process and um, I believe, I believe it was May 18th when Howie announced he wasn't coming back and it was August 4th when they offered me a contract. So, um, it was a, a long stretch of time in between, uh, the beginning and the end of it, but it was, uh, obviously worth it the way it worked out for me. Absolutely. Now, one of the, one of the things that I've learned, especially, you know, being a broadcaster myself and covering a hockey team is that, you know, chemistry, especially with, you know, your, your co-broadcaster is very important. Can you talk to us about your chemistry with Butch Goring and how you guys are able to flow off each other so well? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, uh, you know, Butch is such a unique personality and a unique uh, perspective on the game, having been obviously a four-time Stanley Cup champion as a player, but also having been a coach and a general manager um, and, and somebody who's been around the game of hockey for longer than I've been alive, quite frankly. So, um, you know, television in general is an analyst-driven medium, and it should be. Um, you know, radio, obviously you rely a lot on the play-by-play -play guy to actually tell you what's happening, but 
Um, when you can see the pictures for yourself, I mean, the analyst is really the star of the show. And so that was my attitude coming in, not only because of it being on television, but because of all the knowledge that Butch Boring has to add to the broadcast. And so um, I treated it that way. And I just tried to work myself in around Butch and learn the way he liked to do things and the way he liked to broadcast. And so that was my mindset coming in. And now here we are, um, I guess, four years into that process. And I think I've got a pretty good feel for the way he likes to do things. I think he has a pretty good feel for my flow and the way I call a game. And, uh, you know, it, it also helps that that we enjoy each other's company. I mean, there, uh, there are certainly broadcasters that um, I, I wouldn't say don't like each other, but aren't exactly, uh, you know, clamoring to go hang out with them after the game and do certain things right. like that. Butch and I spend a whole lot of time together off the air. Um, because of the, the way we travel, we wound up flying together. Um, we wound up taking, uh, you know, Ubers to the airport together, and we mm -hmm. ride to the arena together. Uh, we eat meals together. So, you know, Butch and I, I mean, despite the fact that, you know, he's literally twice my age, we, <laughs> we are, are very good friends, and we enjoy each other's company. And so uh, we hope and we think that comes across as part of the broadcast. That's, that's, that's really great, Brendan. Now, obviously, you've been working for the Islanders for the past couple of years. And one thing that a lot of fans, especially on fans, have come to uh, recognize you from is your call after game one of the 2019 Stanley Cup Finals where you debuted the famous call of game one to the island. And I know a lot of people have loved that. And even people were mentioning that you would say that after the Islanders were playing in this past Stanley Cup Final. Can you talk to us about that moment in particular and how it came to you just making that great call because sometimes with broadcasters it's just the heat of the moment and it just comes out and you don't even really think about it but can you talk to us a little bit about that call in particular yeah i mean it, it certainly is i mean you can't plan things like that yeah it just it just has to happen and i think uh you know it, reflecting back on it i think you know the island um kind of came part of the regular Islander fan nomenclature. And obviously it's been used before, but I think when Barry Trotz talked to the Washington Capitals when he got a Stanley Cup ring and told them that they're going to have to go through the island, to paraphrase, right. um, if, if they were going to win another Stanley Cup. And I think that kind of became, um, I guess, more pronounced in the Islander vocabulary of just being the island. And with the way the whole season kind of played out, obviously with the return to the Coliseum in January, um, and the way nobody gave that team a chance at the beginning of the season and the way the fan base and, and everybody kind of rallied around what they were doing and then to not only make the playoffs but to host and have home ice advantage and to have the Penguins in the Coliseum and then to win that first game in overtime. Uh, in that moment, it just felt like game one – was going to be won by more than just the 18 skaters on the ice. It right. meant more than just those guys. And so in that moment for me, it just kind of came out, but I think it was more about the Island is more than just the team and more than just the players that won that game. This win was for everyone. And so um, obviously none of this is happening in real time, but I think reflecting back on how it came out, I think that is, um, the best explanation I can have for it. Um, and and I, I guess I was surprised at how much legs that it has and how people appreciated that call and how it still comes up. And, and obviously it comes up now every time they win a playoff game one, um, people want to talk about it. So uh, I guess that's the the test of a, of a, of a, of a true good call is, is 
if people still remember it. And certainly that, uh, I guess at this point, has been the most memorable call of my career. Well, I would say from a personal standpoint, you know, obviously I covered the Devils and I'm a Devils fan, but nonetheless, you know, that call that you made was an iconic one. And I think for a lot of Islander fans and a lot of hockey fans, it's going to be a call that's going to, you know, be remembered for a very long time. So that was truly a tremendous call. Now, obviously you also work for NBC Sports and you've covered, you know, many games, many, you know, just, you know, live, you know, national televised games. Can you talk to us about, you know, how you were able to get the opportunity to cover national games? Because I remember first hearing you cover uh, last year in the Stanley Cup playoffs, you covered the second round between the San Jose Sharks and the Colorado Avalanche. So back in 2019. Can you talk to us about that experience and how you were able to get that opportunity to work for NBC? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, NBC is, is obviously they're the national rights holder. So they are uh, as big as it gets in, in the terms of American broadcasting hockey. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly not something where you're going to knock on somebody's door and say, Hey, can I call a game? It's, it's very much the opposite. And so, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to kind of get on their radar from the very beginning. And um, I'm sure being in New York City helps that because mm-hmm. uh, if you don't know, uh, NBC Sports is based in Stanford, Connecticut. So right. a lot of the executives and people that work high up in NBC Sports live in the New York City metro area and therefore don't need any special packages or satellite dishes to watch the Islanders. They're just on television. And so um, I think uh, enough people saw me early on that uh, at the end of the, my very first season in the NHL, they asked me to call some playoff games. And I wound up doing um, the first round. It was Edmonton and San Jose back in 2000, and it would have been 17, mm-hmm. um, that first round playoff series. And it was a very much uh, a game-by-game situation. They said, hey, we want you to go to Edmonton. We would like you to call the first four games of this series, not knowing what would happen after that. If it was, you know, game five, six, seven, maybe they'd bring in a Kenny Albert or a John Forsland to kind of pick up the big games or, a, you know, Gord Miller or somebody with a little more clout than this 32-year-old kid in his first season in the NHL. And, you know, four games turned into five and five turned into six. And after six, they had me come back and call the first couple of the second round uh, between Edmonton and Anaheim. And so I wound up getting eight playoff games that very first season. And ever since then, I've kind of been – you know, part of the regular rotation for NBC, picking up uh, a few more games every year. And, you know, this year was was a lot of fun for me with, uh, you know, obviously we would have much rather have had a regular season and a regular playoff and been in the buildings for things. But um, being able to drive back and forth between the MSG Network studios in Manhattan and the Stanford studios for NBC Sports and kind of do games every night and sometimes two games in the same day. Right. Uh, it was It was a lot of fun to be able to work for both those networks during the playoffs this year. I'm glad you brought up, you know, this past season because let's face it, this season was unlike any, you know, season that players, fans, broadcasters, anybody involved in sports and particularly hockey have ever experienced. Can you talk to us in a little bit more detail about your personal experience, you know, doing games at the MSG studio and also the NBCSN studios, you know, doing games this past year in the Stanley Cup playoffs? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's challenging. It's certainly... Um... It, it, the the number one challenge of it is just what you're not seeing. I mean, the I think that um, even now, still a lot of fans that that hear, oh, they're calling a game from a studio or working off a monitor. Just you know, picture me sitting in front of this wall of monitors and being able to look over and see whatever I want to see. And honestly, that's just not the case. It, it's pretty much the same as me sitting at home on the couch next to you and trying to do my job. 
Um, you know, I'm just looking at whatever um, you're seeing at home. Right. And we really had no control over the pictures because um, just the way it was set up, that the games in Edmonton were being produced by Sportsnet in Canada and the games in Toronto were being produced by NBC Sports. And they were just kind of feeding that to everyone. And so you didn't have any choice about what you wanted to see. So you just kind of worked with what you were given. So, um, you know, the most gratuitous example of that is uh, Matt Barzell's overtime winner in game three uh, against Washington, where I didn't know he was on the ice. Uh, the way the camera panned up the ice, Jordan Eberle has the puck and it almost looks like he's dumping it into the zone. Right. And it wasn't until Matt Barzell grabs that puck and the camera adjusted that I realized he was on the ice and now in on a breakaway. Um, and so there's, there's an element of surprise in my voice, certainly when um, Barzell cuts in and scores that goal, because to, to be honest, I, I didn't know he was there. So right. it's little things like that, that, that make it just challenging in terms of working off a monitor. But um, I will say the one nice thing was that the, the, the fake audio of having fans cheer and react was ex especially helpful um, for me as a broadcaster to kind of get in the moment and forget about how weird it should be mm -hmm. because they're playing in an empty building and there's no emotion to that. And my job is to try and make and create some emotion. Um, so even fake fans uh, certainly made that a little bit easier to kind of live in the moment and just forget about everything else and just call the game as if I was there. Yeah, no, this was, uh, this was definitely a very interesting year for a lot of broadcasters. You know, with not every, you know, broadcaster had the opportunity to go to Edmonton or Toronto to cover the game. So a lot of it was remote. But I, I would say, you know, speaking from a fan standpoint, I thought you got everybody, including yourself, did a fantastic job of, of giving us the, the games and, and doing it so well and really just, you know, making it as normal as it could possibly be in very, you know, non-normal times. So... I would say, first of all, thank you very much for, you know, the great job that you and you and everybody at MSG does on a uh, on a day to day basis. So thank you very much. Well, I appreciate that. And just, you know, for, for the record, the only broadcasters in, in the United States that stepped foot in either of the bubbles was Gord Miller briefly in Toronto, mm -hmm. John Forslund and Kenny Albert. Every other play by play guy that you heard do any game from anywhere. Um, in the United States was doing it off a monitor from, from back home. So that, that is, that's it. Those are the only guys that were there. That is absolutely incredible. Now, my, my last question of just, you know, this part of talking about yourself is that, you know, I did mention before that you also cover games for the Premier Lacrosse League, which I, I'm not the world's biggest lacrosse fan, but I have actually watched some games. Can you talk to us about how you were able to, you know, get that opportunity and get that experience, you know, working for the, the PLL? Yeah, I mean, that's, a, again, an NBC relationship where, um, you know, I really hadn't hadn't done any lacrosse uh, on radio or television since college. And even then it was very brief um, before they approached me at the at the start of the PLL once they announced that the team was going or the league was going to be born and was going to play games on the NBC family of networks. Um, you know, they came to me and asked if it was something I would be interested in. And, you know, we worked together and, and I worked really hard and, and studied really hard and had, I had about a, an eight month uh, head start to kind of learn the sport and, and figure out what the best way to do it and the best way to call it was. And so, mm -hmm. um, you know, they gave me that opportunity. And again, it's one of those opportunities where um, you get the opportunity, but then you have to keep it. And so I was fortunate enough to, to do that whole first season and the way the league is, uh, is formatted. It's, it's a, it's a, a, it's a, a hub-based league, kind of like everybody plays in a bubble right. where the league travels, 
um, to the same city every weekend as a whole. So the first season there were six teams. So there were three games every weekend played on the same field. Sometimes it was two games in one day, the first day, and then one the second or vice versa. But there was always three games in a weekend. Um, so that first season, they played a 10-week regular season. Uh, they had a couple of rounds of playoffs and then a championship game. And I was able to call every single game in the entire league for that first season. And so I, I got a lot of lacrosse under my belt in a very quick period of time. And that was a really great experience. And I fell in love with the game of lacrosse and um, really enjoyed doing it. It was unfortunate that the way everything worked out this year is that the PLL had their second season as a quarantine tournament out in Salt Lake City. Ooh. And it started at the exact same time as the Stanley Cup playoffs. And so, right. um, you know, hockey's my bread and butter and obviously my day job with MSG. And so there was absolutely no chance I was going to be able to get out there and do those games. So um, I wound up missing this entire season and Paul Burmeister filled in and, and did a fantastic job. But we'll see what happens in the future. And hopefully uh, there's not too much overlap uh, in the upcoming summer and everything starts getting back to normal. And I'll be able to getting back to doing both uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs and the sport of lacrosse. Absolutely. Now let, let's shift over to obviously the news that we got, you know, people are going to listen to this about two weeks later, but about a week ago at the time of this recording, um, you know, legendary, you know, former New Jersey Devils broadcaster and obviously the, the main voice of the NHL on NBC, Mike Doc Emmerich announced his retirement. My first question to you, Brent, is this, what was your initial reaction when you heard the news? Oh, just, I mean, I think disappointment, and, and that's a selfish reaction, but certainly, you know, I love the the way he calls a hockey game, and to me, he's he's been the voice of every big game in my entire life, so, um, you know, he's so good at what he does, and there's really no one that does what he does the way he does it, and so, you know, the sport of hockey is going to be missing that from now on, and, and that's, that's, sad. that's sad when you think about it, and so that was initially my first reaction, and then it's, you know, wow, what a, what a career. Um, that he's had 50 years in the sport of hockey, uh, you know, and what was it, 22 Stanley Cup finals, and the list goes on and on, 45 playoff game sevens. And, um, I mean, he's been the soundtrack of hockey in the United States for, for what feels like my entire life. And, yes, I, I am old enough to remember Gary Thorne and, 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 and some of his iconic calls. But, you know, for me, as, as, you know, from the time I was, you know, 15 years old until now, Doc has been it. And so um, he, he's just – so good and iconic and unique and uh you know the sport of hockey is better for having had him do what he's done for as long as he had but you know hats off and congratulations to him on, on just an incredible career and he deserved to to call his own shots and if he says he's done then he's done and he's earned the right to say that fun fun fact about you know talking about doc emmert and gary thorne gary thorne for a while was actually the voice of the new jersey devils on television and then in 1993 doc emmert came back to New Jersey and actually took over for Gary Thorne. So there was a lot of connection with that. And, you know, speaking about myself and being a, a sports broadcaster on my own and, and obviously now broadcasting hockey here in New Jersey, uh, you know, it's, you know, I grew up, you know, listening to Doc, especially covering the Devils. And then later on when he was working for NBC and, you know, he just, he was one of the big reasons I would say from my standpoint that he really, you know, you know, got me excited about hockey, got me excited about the New Jersey Devils, and got me excited about wanting to become a sports broadcaster. And so, uh, you know, just like just like you, Brendan, I was definitely sad for selfish reasons to see that, you know, he decided to, um, to retire. But at the same time, he, he earned the right to do so, without a doubt. Now, you put out a couple tweets on the day that he retired. And one of the, there was two that really, you know, stood out to me is, you know, you said, I've said this before, but I wanted to be 
like Dr. Broadcaster since I was a kid. After getting a chance to know him, I want to be like Dr. Person as well. He's one of the kindest and most genuine people you will ever meet. And then you brought up a memory that you had after calling you know, Josh Bailey's overtime game-winning goal in the 2016 home opener, which was just your third New York Islanders game. And Doc Emmerich actually sent you an email saying, you sound terrific. Look forward to seeing you on campus, Doc. So, and I just want to say, first of all, that that is a tremendous, a tremendous memory. And I'm glad that you shared it. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the person that Doc Emmerich is? Because a lot of people know him, obviously, seeing him on TV and the personality that he has. But not a lot of people get the opportunity to meet Doc Emmerich and meet him, you know, as the person. Can you talk to us more about that? Yeah, I mean, he's just he's just a fantastic human being. I mean, he is uh, he's a, he's a great guy to be around. He always has a smile on his face. He's always very welcoming, um, and and he just has that that presence about him. And he's always, I mean, I guess the best way to describe it is when you talk to Doc Emmerich, and, and let's just use me as an example. When I talk to Doc, all I want to do is ask him questions about him, right? Like that's that's what I want to do. Right. And all he wants to do is talk about you. Um, and, and, he, and he's not just asking you about you to be polite or um, because he, he just wants to kill some time. He's legitimately interested in every person he talks to. And I think that's why he's able to come up with the stories he comes up with, because he's generally interested in the person of every single hockey player that he talks to. And the way he talks to you, it makes you want to open up and tell him things. And that's why he's able to, to find these, these unbelievable stories that no one else is able to get out of these players is because he just has that personality um, when you talk to him that, um, you know, there, there's the analogy of Mr. Rogers being made, you know, around these days, but you just mm -hmm. want to sit down and talk to him and, and you feel good after talking to him. Um, and so he's just, he's a wonderful person. He's genuine. There's nothing fake about him. The person you see on your television screen, the smile, the laughs that you hear during the broadcast. I mean, that is all who Doc Emmerich actually is. And so, um, you know, you are going to be very hard pressed to find anybody saying anything negative about Doc the person. Um, and he's been around hockey forever and he has talked to everybody on the planet. So um, that's a pretty good track record. When you can know as many people as Doc does and everybody says the same things about you, uh, you've done something well. That, that's great. And, and, that, and it's tremendous to hear that because I've, I've always, you know, wondered to myself about, you know, who Doc Emmerich is as the person and to hear Something like that, like you said, Brendan, is, is truly great. Now, my next question is kind of a two-parter. Uh, my first part of the question is simply this. What is your favorite call or memory that Doc Emmerich was involved in? And then the next part of that question is, what is your favorite word that he uses on the broadcasts? Uh, you know, to me, it's, it's so hard to pick out a moment from Doc just because, like I said, he's been the voice of pretty much every big moment uh, of my entire life. I mean, he, he became you know, the national voice. I think he's called every Stanley Cup final since 2001. And, yep. you know, I was in high school at that point. So um, it's, it's, it's really hard to pick out a moment because he, he's been the, every moment for me. So um, I, I know that's a non-answer, but he didn't really have an answer either when he was asked about his favorite moment. So I, right. I, I got to go with him on that one. As for the word, oh, I mean, there, there's so many different things. I think there's, um, you know, my favorite words of Doc are the ones where you would never think of them and they fit perfectly. Um, right. And there's words that only he can use. And, and I guess I'll just throw this one out because it came to top of mind, but he'll say he sashays out of the corner. Um, 
Awesome. And it, it's one of those words where you're like, never in a million years would I have thought to use it. He used it perfectly because that's pretty much what he did to, when you're describing it. And it is so uniquely docked that no one else could ever use it. And so there are so many instances of that where he just has the perfect word that I'm not sure anyone on the planet would have thought of. And yet it fits perfectly well. And it's like, well, why didn't I think of that? Right. Um, but yeah, it, you know, he manages to say, and as broadcasters, as play-by-play -play broadcasters, especially for hockey, we say the same things over and over again. Mm -hmm. The puck does the same thing over and over again. But he manages to find a different way to say the same thing over and over again, yeah. um, you know, better than anybody else. He has a command of the English language that um, I don't think you can teach. And I don't think you can absorb as much of his knowledge of the English language that, that he is going to take away with him um, from the game of hockey. Well, that's the big reason why they do call him Doc, because he is a, you know, he really just knows a lot about everything. Uh, my last question to you, Brendan, is simply this. Uh, for all the young broadcasts out there, the people that want to go out and broadcast, not just hockey, but sports and other things like that, what is the biggest, most important piece of advice that you can give to those people? Um, you know, I, I think just to, to, to do it, to, to call as many games as you can, as many things as you can, because there's, there's absolutely no book or video or course you can take that teaches you to be a great broadcaster. The only way to do it is just to do it and continuously get better and to listen to yourself and to make improvements and to get advice from people and to incorporate all that stuff. But you can make all the notes you want and have it be as prepared as you want. And certainly um, that's a big part of it, but you have to just go out and do it. Uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I called it, I called over a thousand games in the minor leagues before I got to the NHL. Um, and there are guys that have called a lot more than that. And it's one of those, those skills where, you should get better every time you do it. And I should be a whole lot better now after four years in the NHL than I was on my first game in the NHL. Yeah. Um, and that's just the way that broadcasting is. So um, obviously there's, there's a lot to it in terms of preparation and making sure you have the information you need. Um, but in terms of delivery and style and finding out what information you need and if you have it or not, you just have to go out and do it. So yeah. whether it is you know high school games, whether it is, um, little league games, whether it is uh, something that's on the radio, something that's on the internet, or something that you're doing into a tape recorder for yourself, yep. um, just go out there and do it. I mean, I uh, the job that I got in Wheeling, my first job in pro hockey in the ECHL, I got with an audition tape that I made in college of Cornell women's hockey game that I did by myself into a mini disc recorder at the time. Wow. Um, it was never heard by anybody on the radio. It wasn't on the internet. It was just for me to practice and then to use that tape. And I wound up using that tape as a demo and getting a job with it in pro hockey. Um, so it doesn't matter if, if no one's listening, if your dad's the only one listening, because I've had plenty of broadcasts where that's the case too. Um, it just matters that you're doing it and doing it as much as you can. And it doesn't matter. Uh, and I mean it. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's hockey, if it's softball, if it's field hockey, if it's lacrosse, if it's baseball. Um, I used to DJ in college on the radio station playing music just to be comfortable behind the microphone. Nice. All of that adds up, um, you know, in terms of your skill set to being a broadcaster. So as much experience as you can get, as much opportunity as you get, uh, you shouldn't say no to anything when you're trying to do what, uh, what we try to do here. Well, that's, that's great advice, Brendan. Thank you so much again for coming on today and speaking with us for, for a little while. We, we certainly appreciate it and we look forward to continuing to listen to you cover Islanders games and just, you know, national hockey games moving forward. So thank you very much for being here. 
All right. Thank you, Neil. All the best. Thank you. What's going on, guys? It's your host, Neil Villapiano. Thank you so much for checking out this week's edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. If you want to continue to listen to these episodes, here's what you do. You go on your computer and you type in Hockey Podcast Network, and you can check out the website, hockeypodcastnetwork.org, where you can see all the logos for all the podcasts that we do. You'll see the Devil's logo, and you can click on that. You can also just check out all the other hockey podcasts that we have on this great network where we cover every single team in the NHL, and we have a bunch of other hockey podcasts along with those. So make sure you go check all of those out. We post new episodes every single Monday, and we also post them wherever you listen to podcasts. So whether that's Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, just search Hockey Podcast Network or Devil's State of Mind, and you will find it. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at Devil State, on Instagram at Devil State of Mind, and also on Facebook at Devil State of Mind. On all of those, I will post when the new episodes are up, as well as just interactions with you guys, the fans, as we talk about our team, the New Jersey Devils. And also in the bio of all of those social medias, we have a link to the Devil State of Mind website where there. You can just check out all the episodes and go directly to where we have them. You can bookmark it so you can just keep it and make it very easy for you. So please go check those out as well. Again, new episodes of the podcast every single Monday. If you want to listen to me just talk about more things that are going on in sports, not just in hockey, you can follow me on the Mofobo Network podcast, which is available on Anchor and Spotify, where every week we post new episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays talking about the most up-to-date news in the wide world of sports. I also have a YouTube channel called Mofobo Network Presents. New videos come out every single Wednesday where just like on the podcast, we get a topic that we discuss that's going on right now in the wide world of sports. So go check me out on all those. Again, it's spelled M-O-F-O-B-O Network Podcast on Anchor and Spotify and M-O-F-O-B-O Network Presents on YouTube, where there you could just continue to listen to me talk about things that are going on in this great world that is the world of sports. You can follow me on my personal Twitter at T-H-E-N-V-P-S-H-O-W and my personal Instagram at N-V-P-Q-B-11. And last but certainly not least, go check out my book on Amazon and Barnes Noble right now called J-E-T-S Pain, 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 which is about the pain and suffering of being a New York Jets fan. So if you're a Jets fan, a football fan, if you know someone who's one of those, or if you just want to support me, just go check that book out. It it chronicles all the painful memories, painful games, painful player decisions, and everything else that evolves around the New York football Jets. So please go check it out. It's available for hardcover and ebook for the price of $19.69. And if you're a Jets fan or a football fan, you probably guessed why I chose that price. So thank you guys once again for checking out this edition of the Devil's State of Mind podcast. My name is Neil Bell Piano, and we will see you in the next episode. Everyone continue to be the awesome, amazing people that you are out there. Make sure that you're always helping out others. And one last thing, rock on. Woo!